today on the Tearsheet Podcast. And I guess if I were, you know, a challenger bank, the first thing I would want to do is shore up my finances. And we're seeing, we're seeing that. Um, so N26, Revolut, and Australia's uh, Judo Bank um, all uh, raised extensions to previous rounds, although Judo might have been its own round. But um, they're, these are war chests, right? They're, they're heading into nuclear winter. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty typical. And this is what we've seen, you know, everywhere is, you know, insiders coming in and saying, listen, I want to make sure that, you know, especially on the winners, I want to make sure that there's enough investment to get through. Welcome to the Challenger Bank podcast, episode 14. I'm your co-host, Zach Miller. I'm editor-in-chief at Tearsheet. And with me is my colleague, Josh. What's up? Josh Liggett at Art from Our Crowd, associate on the investments team. You always say that like so cool, like I'm just too cool for that. But um, we're back at number 14 and um, it's been, it's been a wild ride. Um, you know, we're, we're facing, you know, some of the most um, transformative times, I guess, in banking, certainly in our lifetimes. And, yeah, it's uh, been pretty crazy. Sorry yeah. to interrupt you and jump on your toes on that. Oh, yeah, just I'll mix all the metaphors together. But regardless, <laughs> it's um, what we're seeing here is, is – I, I, maybe a new normal. I mean, I think a lot of like, basically there was a lot of response in, in, in the pandemic. Um, and then, you know, now we're talking about like, what are we, what is it, what is banking? What is digital banking? What does challenger banking look like going forward? I think that's sort of the era we're, we're getting into now. It feels like. Yeah. I think we, we've gotten past the shock. I mean, I think people are still shocked, but we are getting past at least what I'm seeing on the ground is, you know, we had about a quarter of just, or what, not even a quarter, like, two months. like that, yeah. two months of just like, what is going on? And let's try to just sort our ducks and make sure everything is getting well to continue with the metaphors and all those ridiculous things. Um, but, you know, but, uh, and now we're starting to see like, okay, it's, we've sort of shored everything up. Now we're, how can we move forward? So uh, definitely an interesting time. And I guess if I were, you know, a challenger bank, the first thing I would want to do is shore up my finances. And we're seeing, we're seeing that. Um, so, N26, Revolut, and Australia's uh, Judo Bank um, all uh, raised extensions to previous rounds, although Judo might have been its own round. But um, they're, these are war chests, right? They're, they're heading into nuclear winter. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty typical. And this is what we've seen, you know, everywhere is, you know, insiders coming in and saying, listen, I want to make sure that, you know, especially on the winners, I want to make sure that there's enough investment to get through. Uh, a lot of companies... Uh, the, the issue that we've seen, or not really the issue that we've seen, is that the if you have companies that just closed rounds pretty recently, um, a lot of them were already raising in uh, anticipation of a downturn because we've been all been waiting. I think we've been talking about mm -hmm. you know for two years now waiting for the you know for the balloon to pop on a lot of the valuations and the overall market. So for for some time now, a lot of the smarter startups have been you know raising with ex with extended war chests um but now what we're seeing what you had are you know sort of a weird situation with companies that were looking to raise q1 or q2 uh or even q3 of of 2020 that that now has sort of been pushed off and those are the ones that are really have been in a, a tough situation and and better and a lot of the, the best thing to do is if you think listen i don't even know what's going to happen in you know h2 2020 it's considering to me let me make sure i have enough money to last through, you know, for another year, for another 18 months, if I can, to make sure that I can get through this and, and be on the other side. 
That makes total sense. And obviously the, you know, the other side of that, the companies that aren't necessarily able to shore up um, financing. And so we saw like a, a Zurich based, you know, challenger numbers lay off a significant number of people. Um, you know, in a way this is that it, it's going to, it's going to further delineate the haves and have nots, right? The bigger, more successful, more better funded startups and banks are going to continue to succeed or at least continue to stay alive. Um, and some of the others are going to fall by the wayside, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, people are going out and there is a digital transformation and people are going out and buying stuff. I think I, I, I heard from, from one of my, I didn't hear it firsthand, but I heard from, you know, one of my colleagues that like the CEO of Microsoft said that they had in the last two months, like three years or two years of, uh, of uh, referrals and sales, like people like, all right, like let's move digital. Let's take on whatever solution it is. You know, we've seen zoom, we've seen Shopify, you know, we've seen, a, a tremendous amount of increase on digital channels. And so, you know, the, there are a lot of people that can thrive during this time period. It just depends on if you're able and what your service provider is and if you have a, if what your service is and uh, what you're able to provide and if you're, you know, able to execute and have a strong business model during this time period. Got it. So I also want to talk about a, a single company. Um, we had an article last week on Green Dot, um, which happens to own a bank, and there was speculation. Um, you know, it's it's known as being like a, a managed debit card program provider. Um, Walmart card runs on it. The Apple car, credit card before the the new card, the Goldman back card. Don't was, start talking about that. <laughs> was using Green Dot. Um, you know, and interestingly, like the company's been around for 20 years. Um, the CEO stepped, stepped aside recently. Um, they brought in a new, new management and they're continuing to bring in new management and they have a banking as a service platform. And so here's a bank that has, has said, well, we're sort of a technology provider. We also have a, a charter. Um, who are we going to be when we grow up? And they sort of were straddling both worlds, never fully um, embracing the, the singular products that they had launched under their own brand and, and not really investing, I think, you know, strongly enough in, in the platform business. And so uh, they just had a uh, earnings call earlier this week and you know they, they kind of confirmed that they don't want to sell off the bank. They think that that's actually one of the assets they have going up against challenger banks um, and that they want to really focus on the platform because you know, if, you, if you're running a platform versus marketing your own products, there's very little marketing spend on the platform side as opposed to taking a singular product and having to market it. Um, when you have a platform, everybody who builds on top of you and essentially markets for you. Um, so you know, I'm curious, Josh, I mean, do you think, do you think you'll see, will we see other banks sort of take this route of, of, of turning into a platform as opposed to being a brand? Good question. It's hard, right? Uh, hard well, say. first of all, it depends if they're, a lot of these banks are using different platforms, you know what I mean? Yeah, and they're not also, even a platform themselves. So like, it's a that, platform on the platform on someone else's. Yeah, technology. exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's like, they're, the whole point is they're building a brand because they have to, because they're all, you know, they're, piggybacking on someone else's license That's you know point. but but i think what it what it gets into is something again that we've seen in the whole that in everywhere right now which is shoring up your base in terms of you know you had you know we heard stories about we work and airbnb and in, in, in recent in recent weeks of talking about all the you know what they were working on all these studios and like interesting things they're like okay great that was cute and we did that for a little bit and uh, now we need to make sure that our, you know, we can 
have burned last as much as possible and our, our funding lasts as long as possible. So now we're going to stop doing all that stuff. We're going to shore up our core business. And, and it's sort of like now is a good shakeout in terms of like, okay, did that, we experimented and we like doing that stuff. Now it's time to cut all that stuff back and really focus on our money makers. So I think with a platform, exactly what you said, couldn't agree more that if you're able to have this platform where, you know, you're just, fishing basically you know trolling out in the waters and mm -hmm. and and getting uh and just people coming to you and low touch mid touch whatever you know having those you know SaaS numbers that are look really good and are are pretty solid why not you know why not go that route you know so it makes a lot of sense you know in that in that respect i got it and so um we also ran a story last week on oak north which um Interesting. You love, we, you I do. I happen North. to like them. <laughs> uh, one of the fastest growing uh, startups in Europe. Um, they have a, a bank entity. They actually own a bank, Oak North Bank in England. Um, and globally, instead of launching new banks or getting new licenses or needing someone else's license, they, they're licensing out their technology to banks. And so they, they were one of the first fintechs to kind of come out with a Corona product really to help banks in the U.S., um, disperse a lot of the government aid money that was coming through. So if you're sitting on, you know, multi-billion dollar portfolio of loans and clients, like how do you, how do you begin to process? I think basically the, the way the CIO at Oak North said the, the volume of new loans applications was like five X what they would get in a year. They had a process in two months, something like that. And so one thing even just to service your existing customers to help them get the loans, but you know, a lot of new customers were coming to banks and this was an opportunity. A lot of the big banks turned away this business. Um, so Oak North kind of created a platform to help banks um, be able to uh, manage their portfolios. And the way they were able to do that was through their own bank and the own analysis they'd done on their own loan portfolios in the UK, they were able to develop sort of in-house tools that then they could push out internationally. I, I happen to like that model. You know, I do. Um, and uh, it was interesting just to see like, you know, also like this was, these were established banks reaching out to an Oak North, a FinTech, you know, we talked about maybe the future of this collaboration. It's not, it's not incumbents versus FinTechs. It's incumbents and FinTechs headed forward, each one kind of focusing on what they do best. Yeah. I, I, I remember seeing an article a week or two ago that New Jersey was like had a shortage of like respirators, surgical masks, and cobalt developers, and like, <laughs> which, which is hilarious. Not connected those two. Things. Yeah. yeah, but it's like like the fact that it's taking so long is ridiculous. And this is sort of like a a question. You know, you've heard stories about how behind the banking industry is in terms of development. Like, do they even have CRM solutions? You know, are are they even there? So, the question I have for you, Zach, and and really especially with your time speaking it with all these different banks and all these different fintechs is you have tons of fintechs who are ready to adopt and are ready to help banks. But how open do you, do you really feel is now really what's going to get banks to really start adopting or are we still just going to see, uh, are they going to move fast or is it going to be still the same slow movement? I think this was uh, this was a wake up call for the, the banks that didn't have significant um, transformation programs or ones, or at least, you know, we talked about, you know, digital theater or, you know, innovation theater, the ones that were just kind of talking about not really doing that. When your branches are closed and maybe closed for the foreseeable future and you don't have a way to take online loan applications or mortgage applications, your business is kind of messed up. So I, I, I by hook or crook, I think they're being forced into doing this. Um, it may be that they're dragging their feet, but I don't, I don't think they have, I don't think they have another option at this point. Um, we had a guest on, on, 
an outlier briefing that we had for our subscribers a couple of weeks ago. And he said, you know, for, it's not even a matter of thriving anymore being digital. He, he, he thinks it's a matter of, of surviving. Um, I don't know if we're there yet, um, but you know, I, this is an era where like you're going to stand, you have to stand out with your digital offerings. And so, and for those smaller banks that don't necessarily have the resources or the, or the deep pockets to build their own stuff, um, they have to partner. So, um, I do. I think this, I, I think we're in an age of partnerships. I think that's part of one of our themes, a, a deep theme that we have on Tearsheet, um, is that you know the way forward is really through collaboration. I think, and this is something that I was asked. I was on a call with a with a large with a large financial institution, and and they were they asked like what you know what was going on regarding uh, you know collaboration between tech giants, the Googles, the Amazons of the world, and banks, and you know why hasn't haven't we seen anything much? And it's it's like honestly why would they want to partner? You know, they want to, a lot of them, you know, the, where, the, where they're looking to partner is for massive lines of credit, you know, mm -hmm. like we saw with Apple and like we saw, I think what we spoke about with, uh, where Goldman sitting there, I think with, with Google came out with a card, rumored to have a card. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. yeah, a lot of rumors about, but that, they're looking to bank just for like the, basically as an intermediary to the Fed, you know, in terms of for, for debt and for, and for massive lines of cash. So like, the like, the the tech companies can come out and have already digitally transformed. They can come out and, and move quickly. You have large banks that have a big budget, but a lot of times move slowly. Then you have the small banks, which, you know, don't have a big budget, but theoretically could move fast. So I think it's, it could be a really interesting shakeout for people who don't move. And this is something that you and I, at least, and many people in tech community have been, you know, ringing the bell about for a couple of years now is like, adopt digital solutions like there's going to be a time when you know it's it's a problem the, I, the question i is you know is it going to be too late are they going to be able to move on time is, is the real question totally um just making our way through some of the topics we want josh i know there was there was an article that you had seen and that you pointed out um about the i guess the the formation and the emergence of digital private banks do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah so i thought this was really interesting because we thinking of back to pre-challenger banks and pre-digital banks, right? You had the choice, the individual had the choice and they're where to bank, right? You, you, you said, I'm going to, I can go to a large bank in my city. You know, I could go to a, you know, a JP Morgan, a Capital One, a Wells Fargo, whatever it may be, or I can choose to go to a, you know, a credit union based on, you know, uh, where I, where I, who, who I associate with, where I used to work. If I was in the army, you know, I can go there. Uh, you know, I could go to a local community bank, et cetera, et cetera. And with, then we, now we've had, we have digital banks and we have, you know, digital challenger banks that are generalist and we have digital challenger banks that are, you know, sort of, again, community bank focused. But now we have this new sort of like community in quotes, uh, I call it challenger banks. And that's more of banks that are there because I'm associated with a micro economy or a micro sort of area like a good example is aspiration which is looking you know people who are want more transparency or into you know green living and mm -hmm. and uh that you know treating people correctly and so you know it's it's we're gonna that's like community in terms of not in terms of it, my city but community in terms of people who i associate with mm -hmm. and wealthy people also are community and so i just found it really interesting that yeah someone's like hey why don't instead of like going for the overall, you know, long tail market of going after everybody. Why don't I just offer a digital challenger bank for like the Amex black card, so to speak, of, of the world and and go after them because they need somebody also. And I thought that was really interesting and and you know, I think it's a cool trend to see of of 
you know, like-minded people. And the question is, how far is it going to get? Is it going to get to, you know, Tesla, Challenger Bank supporters, you know, is it going to get to, uh, you know, uh, who knows, sports teams even, or people who like certain shows, like sort of like with crypto almost, where, you know, you got pretty, pretty nuanced in terms of crypto with, you know, Dogecoin or, you know, pot smoker coin or this coin or that coin, whatever. Like, is it going to get that segmented in the challenger banking market, which I think could be interesting. Interesting as well. Um, so the, the two names that were mentioned in this article were Alpian, um, both are European, um, as well as 220. Um, I know 220 was targeting single digit millionaires, um, really amongst millennials. So talk about, you know, a very specific audience. Um, so we'll see. I mean, we'll see if those things take hold. It's interesting because you can get really um, nuanced with some of this targeting and some of the community aspects around um, exactly what you're describing, Josh. And even from a product and service point of view, you know, they have different needs and different wants. So like you can actually get really good at servicing them. Are they big enough markets? Will these companies be able to, to succeed just by targeting them without having to become mass market at a certain point, we'll see. But uh, it's interesting that we see these, these two, um, these two companies arise. I, I just want to mention one more thing before we go. Um, we had an article on Tearsheet uh, earlier this week about Stash, which really started as an investment platform, sort of a, a micro investment platform has turned into really a full blown challenger bank at this point. Um, and they were running what's called Stash parties. Um, or stock parties, I should say. Basically, they give giveaways of of uh, fractional shares at a certain point. You know, it's it's it takes place on Twitter. They drive traffic. It's, there's a viral component, um, and people get uh, you know every when they run these these parties, like you know, it'll there'll be a theme around it. Maybe it's flowers for Mother's Day, and they'll get stock in one eight hundred flowers. And um, they've awarded I think sixty four thousand people um, some of these micro shares. And and what they found. Also, is that once they get these shares, um, people tend to invest more in the companies that they already own. So it actually is an incentive for them to keep building their portfolios. I, I wasn't so much interested as the and the party itself, but like interesting that like what a bank is doing in the community to kind of get the word out. Um, this was a promotion. I think it cost them a hundred thousand dollars in terms of they give away a hundred thousand dollars worth of stock. So it's not super expensive per se on their on their end, but. Um, you know, this is not a toaster giveaway, you know, that, that banks in the eighties did. This is, this, there's a viral component. It's fun. It's people are like sharing this kind of stuff. And, um, I don't know, I, I, to me, it was interesting. I, I don't know if we'll see more of this in the future, but, um, I'd like to, I think, I think it gives the bank a personality. I think it, it there's a reciprocity that people who, who participate with these banks, um, feel towards, towards their banking institution. It almost feels like they're anthropomorphized. Like there's a relation, a real relationship there. I think it's, I, I love the toaster uh, giveaway concept. I think that's hilarious that, to make that analogy. And it's great. It's a great, it's a great analogy. Um, you know, I, if you just think about it, like what Stash is holding in, in the article that, you know, that you wrote, you linked to it, 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 you know, it's, it's, there is a lot of financial education there without people understanding, right. Of like what to like, not uh, what like, do I we own? Talk, what am I doing? Yeah. Like Why? banks, it's, it's the fate. It's, Moving away from bank explaining, you know, the, the term we like to call where a bank, you know, someone in finance just tells you exactly what to do and sort of tricks you into learning about finances. And I think this is going to sound rough, but uh, I think that, you know, a lot of people, you know, especially I've spoken to a lot of people about this and they are like, you know, talking about moving away into from challenger banks into sort of into into the market and the overall market is like, oh, why isn't the S&P 500 just going to go up forever? And it's like a lot of people, you know, who didn't experience 2008, people didn't experience 2000, you know, or even, you know, go back and back, you know, they 
don't understand what it is to live during a downturn. I think something that could be really interesting is someone who gets involved in, you know, stash giveaways or, or getting earning, getting stock and then seeing, unfortunately seeing, you know, that value go down. Oof. It's, it's a great lesson. I mean, the, the best lessons I learned from the market were, were, you know, and in life and the business was when I was fresh out of college in 2007 and had to go in the business world and, you know, we all got our asses kicked, you know, <laughs> in the ne- a year for the next couple of years. It was, it was amazing lessons. And I think that this could be a lesson that people don't really want to learn, but is a very good lesson to learn, especially at an early age, um, you know, and hopefully, you know, hopefully things will end up working out at the end, but could be really, could be a great opportunity. And you know, again, more toasters for everybody. <laughs> That's a really good point. Josh, thanks for joining me today. Um, Thank you all for joining us as well. Stay healthy, stay safe. Stay safe. And uh, we'll, we'll catch you again soon. Binge Netflix. See ya.